Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord my God, I call to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his, praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. O Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But... When you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. Thank you very much for reading for us, Peter. Good evening. My name's Chris Tufnell. I'm on the staff here if I haven't met you. Uh, Even if I have, I'm still Chris Tufnell. Um, And uh, it's very good to see you all um, here this evening. Just as we begin, um, I'd like to just lead us in a prayer. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, please open your word to us tonight. Please teach us and instruct us. Please help us to see your mercy and move us to praise you for the glory of your name. Amen. Well, um, a a few weeks ago, my wife and I celebrated our fifth wedding anniversary, and um, I've got here the card that she gave me. Now, I need to warn you before I say anything about this card. If you have a very sensitive kind of cheesiness radar, I'm about to set it off. Okay, so I'm sorry. This is very twee, but it it says, uh, for my husband, it has a picture of two elephants on the front, and it says, let's grow old and wrinkly together. I'm sorry, I did warn you. Very, very twee. I know, very cheesy, but kind of a nice sentiment, isn't it? Let's grow old and wrinkly together. It's a nice sentiment. Um, my only thing is it's, it's slightly low ambition, isn't it? Um, I think maybe we could aim a little bit higher than that. I mean, all we really need to do to kind of match up to that is survive. Um, maybe, we could, maybe we could dream a little bit bigger. Um, maybe that we might still love each other when we're old. I don't know. Maybe that's a slightly heavy analysis for a, a uh, anniversary card from Asda. But um, there we go. It does map on quite helpfully, though, to how I feel about my Christian faith and my relationship not so much with my wife but with the Lord. Um, As I grow older uh, in the Christian faith, I hope um, I won't just grow wrinkly. I hope I'll still love the Lord. I hope I'll still be full of praise for him and love him. Uh, But one of my great fears, um, and I'm not exaggerating, I think this is one of my greatest fears in life, is that as I grow older, I might become what I'm going to call tonight a cold Christian. Uh, Someone who once loved the Lord, once felt great delight in the gospel, but just time, familiarity, just got cold towards him. And so it fills me with dismay when sometimes I see my heart sliding in that direction. 
when I uh, sit on the sofa in the morning to read my Bible and pray, and I, re- I read glorious, wonderful truths about what the Lord Jesus has done for me. And my heart, spiritually, it just kind of flatlines. Nothing. And now my suspicion is that there aren't loads of people here tonight going, gosh, that's awful, really? I think you should resign at once. I'm kind of banking on it anyway, or I'll regret my honesty to you. And no, my suspicion is that actually if you've been a Christian here for more than, I don't know, a few months, you'll be going, no, exactly what you mean. Exactly what you mean. I think it's something that we do fear. I hope it's something that you fear. I think maybe we sometimes have this idea that in the Christian life there's this sort of equation where you go, keen Christian plus time equals cold Christian. It's just inevitable. You get wrinkles, you get cold. And uh, perhaps you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I'm not really afraid of becoming a cold Christian. If I'm honest, I'm afraid I've become a cold Christian. Hard thing to admit. I think there's something of this as well, actually, for people who aren't Christians. Not, of course, in terms of a relationship with God, but just a fear that as we grow older, we might become that kind of cynical, cold, bitter, no joy or praise left to give in life kind of person. It's captured in those, um, the words by that band, Lucas Graham, uh, where he sings, uh, in seven years he sings, soon I'll be 60 years old, but I think the world is cold. Not just a fear that Christians have, I don't think. I think it's a fear that many people have. I think it's a right fear to have. Uh, but I, here's something positive for me to say. You've been waiting for that, haven't you? That equation, keen Christian plus time equals cold Christian's not true delighted to say that it is just not true and I know it because I have met older Christians who are passionate in their love for the Lord you speak to them and they just glow from having been around him for so many years for having seen his faithfulness to them over so many years and for me as a younger man I find that a huge encouragement I'm thinking right now perhaps even looking I'll I'll look up at the ceiling uh, people in this church family who fit that description, who are such an encouragement to me. And those of us who are of the younger generation need to spend time around those older Christians. We need to learn from them. We need to watch them glow and learn from them how to live in such a way that as we grow old as Christians, we don't become cold, but instead we glow. We glow with praise for the Lord. And as we turn to Psalm 30 tonight, David is just such an older person glowing with praise for the Lord as he looks back over his life and sees the Lord's mercy and faithfulness to him. My hope for us tonight is that we can get close to David, we can see why this song is so full of praise and that we will see why this song should be our song as well. And the big idea behind this psalm is simply this, that remembering God's mercy provokes our praise. Remembering God's mercy provokes our praise. Before we even get to verse one of this psalm, it's on page 558 if you've lost the page. Before we even get to verse one, there is something slightly odd about this psalm. The title there, just under where it says Psalm 30, says a psalm, a song for the dedication of the temple of David. You might think there's nothing remarkable about that, but if you've got your kind of Old Testament timeline going in your head, it might kind of... um, it might be a bit of a red flag to you because David died well before the temple was dedicated. In fact, David died before the temple even began to be built. So how can it be that he has written a song for the day of the dedication of the temple, the opening ceremony, the cutting of the ribbon? Why, why would he do that? 
Well, the answer seems to be this, that David was so excited about the day when the temple would be dedicated that even though it was well into the future, he wrote a song to be sung on that day at the dedication of the temple. We know David that wanted to build the temple himself. Read that in 2 Samuel chapter 6. But God has said, no, not you, not yet. It's going to be one of your sons. But David was still so excited, he did as much as he could. He stockpiled building materials so that after he died, the work could get going straight away. Why was he so excited about the day when the temple would be dedicated? Because ever since the Israelites had escaped from Egypt in the Exodus, the whole, the whole time the nation had been a, wonder, a wandering, kind of restless, unsettled, vulnerable nation. And it was shown never more clearly than by the fact that God symbolically dwelt among them in a tent called the tabernacle, a tent, guy ropes and pegs. And it was a sign that they weren't settled, that they might have to up and relocate at any, any moment. And so the building of the temple was a way of the nation seeing where the Lord had brought them from. Now we've got foundations and stones because we're not moving. We're settled as a nation. It would be a day of huge national celebration. And so David writes a song to be sung on that day. It's just what we'd expect from David, really. And uh, as we, um, it's a bit like um, when a Christian chooses the hymns or songs for their funeral. They're not going to be there to sing them, but they want to help the congregation on that day to reflect on the Lord's faithfulness. That's kind of a little bit like what David is doing in these verses. And that explains for us that there isn't kind of one specific event in David's mind as he writes this psalm. Rather, if I can put it like this, he is reflecting on an anthology of the Lord's faithfulness to him over a lifetime. And that's why as we get to verses one to three of this psalm, I think they are intentionally nonspecific. Let me read from verse one. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me up out of the depths. The uh, word being translated there is kind of lifting me up from the depths. Um, It is uh, literally the sort of word that you would use for kind of lifting a bucket up out of a well on a rope, up, 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 or out of a pit, something like that. So it's about kind of going from a place of darkness to a place of light, up, up, up. Um, From a place of death or near inevitable death, up, up, up to a place of life. Uh, From a place of dismay, up, up, up to a place of hope. That's the image here. For you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. And there are a number of occasions in David's life that could have and probably were in his mind as he wrote this. But here's just one. Think of when he faced Goliath. Little shepherd boy, sling, five stones. Giant soldier with a huge spear and thick armor. Surely death is inevitable. Moments away, his enemy would be gloating over him. But the Lord saved him. He lifted him out of that place of imminent death. He did not let his enemies gloat over me. And uh, David is just thinking back on instances in his life where the Lord has rescued him, him in this way. Verse 2, O Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Recently, with this um, in the news of those uh, Thai boys stuck in the cave for nearly three weeks, Uh, It's reminded me, it's probably reminded all of us of the incident in 2010 when those Chilean miners were stuck underground. 33 of them, 700 meters beneath the ground for 69 days. They all survived remarkably because they drilled a 700 meter shaft through the rock, lowered down a, a, a kind of lift, more a kind of cage really, 
And the men got in one at a time and closed the door, much smaller than the pulpit I'm in at the moment, and up, up, up they went through the rock and appeared at the surface. And they estimate that around the world, those scenes were watched by up to a billion people. Amazing scenes as these men arrived one at a time up at the surface, going from a place of of darkness to a place of light, from a place of dismay up, up, up to a place of hope, a place of imminent death to a place of life. And on the surface, the scenes were euphoric. People were cheering and celebrating and hugging and crying as each man came to the surface. Wonderful scenes. And David is saying in this psalm, there have been times in my life when I felt like that. I've been in a place of such darkness, such despair, such hopelessness, but the Lord has lifted me up, up, up to the place in which I now am. And so David tells the congregation how to respond to God's mercy. And of course, it's with praise. Look at verse four. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his Praise his holy name. It's obvious, really. How else could you respond to that kind of mercy, that kind of rescue? And verse five, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Notice there in verse five that we get the first glimpse of David having sinned. He says, for his anger lasts only a moment. God's anger is only ever righteous and just, and so David has clearly sinned. And so we see that God's rescue of him, his mercy towards him, isn't just because he was a victim, as could have been the case if we only had verses one to three, but also because of David's sin. God has had mercy on him by rescuing him from the just punishment for his sin. And verse five is then kind of unpacked through the rest of the psalm. As we see what David's sin is, we see God's anger at him and David's dismay, but then also how the Lord poured out his favor on David and turned his weeping into rejoicing. Let's see what David's sin is. It's there in verse six. When I felt secure, I said, I shall never be shaken. David's sin, it is pride, it's self-confidence. It's the sort of independent mindset that feels like I, I no longer need God, I'm okay. There may be other stuff going on, but I'll never be shaken. We're doing this when when we look at some area of our lives and whatever else is going on, we say, you know, because of that, I'll be okay. There may be other stuff that's not great, but because of her or him, that romance, I'll be okay. Or I log on and look at my bank balance and I go, you know, other stuff might be flying, but I'll be okay. Or my career or my exam results, I go, I'll be all right. I'll be okay. And to know whether we're doing this, it requires an awful lot of self-honesty of looking into yourself. And if my heart says, you know, I'll be okay because of dot, 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 and the blank is filled with anything other than dependence on and trust in the Lord, then we're in a very dangerous place. Um, Here's a way in which I think I've sometimes seen this, and I say this very tentatively, so be sympathetic in your hearing of this. But I think I've seen this happen in a small group where we go around and share prayer requests and someone says, oh no, I I haven't really got anything in particular I need prayer for at the moment. Now, caveats, it may be that there was a prayer request on their heart but they, they didn't think this was an appropriate context in which to share it. It may be that, it may be other things. I have been that person, so hands up. But I think maybe we can say as well that sometimes that probably does reflect the sort of sin that David 
uh, is admitting to here, I shall never be shaken, I'm okay. I hope you never really feel that in your heart, that actually you don't need any prayer at the moment. Paul, uh, the apostle, writes, if you think you are standing firm, be careful you do not fall. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12. If I'm finding my security, my confidence in anything other than the Lord, I'm in a dangerous place for two reasons. Firstly, I'm on shaky ground because one day all of those other things will be stripped away. And the only thing that will count is whether I'm trusting in and depending on the Lord. Dangerous because I'm on shaky ground, but also because I'm sinning. Exalting anything or anyone over the Lord is sinning. This psalm begins in verse 1. I will exalt you, O Lord. That's the right way to behave, to exalt the Lord. But when I'm depending on anything else, when anything else fills the blank, I'm exalting that thing over the Lord, saying I depend on you. And that is sin. I think everyone uh, in life uh, makes this mistake at some point. It's trying to change a light bulb by standing on an office chair. Have you ever done that? Um, I did that a few months ago, not for the first time, actually. Uh, And it's a really bad idea, let me tell you why, because office chairs, they're on wheels, and because they spin. And so you're changing the light bulb, and the chair's going underneath you, and eventually you're so contorted that you kind of have to grab hold of something else to not fall over. It's amazing that I keep doing it, really. Um, And when I did this a few months ago, I I clung on to the shelves in my office, and uh, some of the books stayed on the shelf, not all of them. Um, It is a silly thing to do. God sometimes shakes those things that we are depending on to show us that if we rely on them, we're in a very dangerous and vulnerable place. It's not the answer to all our suffering. Okay? Don't hear me saying that. It's not. But sometimes God shakes the things we're relying on to show us that we mustn't. And it doesn't feel nice But if we cling on to him and hold on to him as a result, then it leaves us in a safer, in a better place in the end. If we're trusting in our finances, it might be that God says, wobble, wobble, wobble. You don't want to trust in that. It won't save you. Your exam results, your career, wobble, wobble, wobble. Your romance, wobble, wobble, wobble. Don't depend on those things. Depend on me. The wobbles should make us cling to the Lord and call out to him for mercy. And that's what David does in verse 8. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried out for mercy. And then David models humble repentance to us in verse 9. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Do you see the way he's reasoning with the Lord? He's saying the dust isn't, if if, if I die, it's not going to praise you. Mercy provokes praise. So have mercy on me that I might give you praise. And for David, to kind of extend the metaphor a little bit, it was as though a, a head appeared silhouetted against the sky and a rope thrown down and up, 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 the Lord lifted him. Verse 10, you can almost hear someone calling it from the bottom of a pit. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord, be my help. For David, the Lord answered that cry. And so because mercy provokes praise, that's exactly where David goes next in verse 11. 
David celebrates the mercy of God. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. He cannot be silent in response to the Lord's mercy to him. Of course he can't. Can you imagine one of those Chilean miners getting to the surface and going, cheers. <laughs> of course not. Ludicrous. You're right to laugh. It's ridiculous. The only way to respond to mercy like that is with praise, with adoration. And that's how David responds here. For David, his heart has to sing because God's mercy has provoked his praise. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. David praises God, but more than that, back in verse four, he tells others to praise God because of his mercy. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his, praise his holy name. But I think there is at this point just a thundering question, and maybe you've spotted it. Why again should I praise This psalm, it's all about God's faithfulness, his mercy to David. That's lovely for David. Why, again, should I praise? David is saying, the Lord's been merciful to me, so praise him. Well, you praise him, David. He's been merciful to you. I'll praise him when he's merciful to me. Could that not be the response of Israelites in the temple on the day of the dedication? Could that not be the response of some of us sitting here tonight as we read Psalm 30? Why should we praise because of God's mercy to David? I think the answer is this. Because David's song, this song, is our song too. And that can be the case in up to two ways. If I've lost you at some point, wake up here. You need to understand this or you won't get what I'm saying hereafter. There are two ways in which this song can be our song. The first is if we have had some similar experience in our lives of God's mercy to us. We've been in a place of darkness, of death, of despair, and in one way or another, the Lord has lifted us up, up, up to a place of life and light and hope. And as you read Psalm 30, you're remembering specific times in your life where you've been there and he's taken you there. And you read Psalm 30 and you think, you know, that is my song, that is my experience. But here's the thing, there may be some here tonight, there may have been some in the temple on that day, for whom that wasn't the case. For whom there was no kind of big rescue in your life. You were never in that pit. You never kind of knew the Lord's faithfulness personally to you in that way like David did. It may be that you're here tonight and you go, well, that's lovely for David, but I'm still in the pit, still looking up, crying out, no one coming seemingly. How is this my song? because of the second way in which this song can be our song. You see, the Israelites in the temple that day, why could they celebrate and praise God for his mercy to David? Here's why. Because the the fortunes of the people were bound up in the fortunes of the king. If he prospered, we prosper. If he's secure, secure, we're secure. If the Lord blesses him, the blessings pour down to all of us. Israelites would have celebrated God rescuing and securing their king because it was rescuing and securing the whole of the nation. But of course, as Christians today, it's, it doesn't kind of, our fortunes aren't tied up in God's rescue of a man who died 3,000 years ago. But maybe you can see where I'm going. Our fortunes are bound up with God's rescue of a man who died 2,000 years ago. Not King David, but our king. 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses one to five of this psalm could have been Jesus's song. All the psalms point to Jesus, but some of them could have been on his lips. And that's the case with the first five verses of this psalm. When Jesus died on the cross, he was bearing the anger of God in that moment for the sins of us, of all who will trust in him. But when he was raised from the dead, he experienced God's rescue. Hear verse one on the lips of Jesus. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. And verse three, O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Verse five, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. On the lips of the disciples, weeping may remain for a night. It remained for two for them. But rejoicing comes on that Easter morning. We as Christians, we celebrate Easter not because we're happy for Jesus. And we seem like a really nice guy, so I'm really glad to hear the Lord did that for him. No, no. We celebrate Easter Day because in his rescue, we see our own salvation. Because he defeated sin and defeated death, it guarantees that we will too. Because the Lord blessed him, the blessings pour down to all of us as well. We see in his rescue our own salvation. So even for Christians who don't personally share in David's story of God's rescue from the threats of life, we do share in Jesus' story of God's rescue from the threat of death. So whatever else is going on in your life, if you're a Christian, you have received God's rescue and mercy through your king, the Lord Jesus. And remembering God's mercy provokes our praise. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do differently in light of this psalm? Well, remember God's mercy, yes. That's how to avoid becoming cold Christians. That's how to end up glowing like David does in this psalm. We are to remember God's mercy because that will provoke our praise as only it can. Praise him for what mercy specifically? Well, yes, of course, for those instances in your life where you experience this kind of a a rescue, this kind of a lifting up, but never stop with praising God simply because of your current circumstances. Because every blessing you have from God could be snatched away tomorrow, but for those that you have in the Lord Jesus, which can never be taken away. And so praise him for those things. Praise him for the gospel. Lord, I thank you that Though I was a sinner, lost in my sin, unable to help myself, you looked on me in great mercy and sent your son to die for me, that you lifted me up from a place of despair to a place of hope. Thank you that you did that for me. Pray like that. Always praise him for the gospel. Now I think if I stopped there, probably 90% of us would do nothing different tomorrow. In a couple of weeks, probably wouldn't remember what we've looked at tonight. And so I want to get very practical just for a couple of minutes about what you might do to become a person whose life is shaped by praise so that you might and I might become people who glow with praise for the Lord. Maybe you're able to do this yourself, in which case forgive me, but here are some very practical suggestions for you. Begin every time of prayer with praise. I'm trusting that you do pray and pray regularly. Begin with praise. Always, when Becky led us earlier, began with praise. Wonderful. 
We didn't arrange that. It's just the way that she decided to pray. Brilliant. Begin with praise. And I say that not least because that's how Jesus taught us to pray. The Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, begins with praise. Before we get to forgive us our sins, before we get to give us our daily bread, begin with praise. It recalibrates all of our prayers when we want God's praise. Begin with praise. Here's another one. End each day with praise. When you put your head on the pillow at night and uh, just before you turn off the light, why not decide every night just to have two ways you're going to praise the Lord, something from the day, something to do with how he saved you through the Lord Jesus. Another, whenever you read the Bible, ask, what does this passage tell me about God that I can praise him for? Um, If you are looking around for a church at the moment, and there are, I'm delighted to say, some several really good churches in Sheffield. So this isn't a little grab. But settle at one of them. Settle in the congregation, whether it's here or somewhere else. Settle at a good Bible-teaching church that will teach you how to follow the Lord, not least because then you can get stuck in with a community of praise. How encour- isn't it encouraging tonight to hear each other praising God? You can be encouraged to be a person of praise by being part of a congregation. Now, this is one very, very specific last recommendation. Um, if you are feeling like, you know, I'd I, I really struggle, genuinely struggle to praise God for the gospel each day. I think my prayer would sound the same every single day. Let me recommend a little book to you. It's called The Passion of Jesus Christ. It's by John Piper. Uh, 50 Reasons Why He Came to Die. Now, if you think that's, well, that's kind of heavy telling me to read a book. Um, 50 chapters, each chapter, one and a half to two pages. I'd be surprised if it took you two minutes to read. Um, you can get it on uh, Amazon for one penny plus postage and packaging. Um, I think that takes it to £2.81. If you type it into Google, if you type it into Google, you can download it as a PDF for free. Passion of Jesus Christ by John Piper. Why don't you use that, read that at the beginning of a prayer, and it will give you a, a reason why he died in a way that you can praise him in response to it. Sorry, that's very specific, but maybe that will be helpful for some. Whatever you do, focus on praising God for the death and resurrection of Jesus and all the mercy we've received as a result. We sometimes sing here these words, streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. They do, they do. So fill your heart, fill your mind with those streams of the Lord's mercy in the gospel. Christian, whatever is going on in your life, good or bad, if you're a Christian, Psalm 30 is your song and it's mine. Because the Lord's anger fell on Jesus that his favor might rest on us. Because our weeping over sin has been replaced by rejoicing over forgiveness. Because our king died, but he also rose. Because there's the cross, but there's also the empty tomb. Because our king Jesus was rescued from death, and in his rescue we see our own salvation. Because the Lord, through Jesus, has lifted us up from a place of death and darkness and despair to a place of life and light and hope and because his favor lasts a lifetime. If you're not a Christian here tonight, there is only one way, only one way to know the security and joy of David in this psalm and it's to know the freedom, the wonderful freedom of being able to be honest about your sin and to call out to the Lord for mercy and to receive his rescue and so to know that whatever the future holds, I need not fear because in him, clinging to him, I am secure. Becoming a cold Christian, I'm glad to say, is not an inevitability. 
but neither is becoming a glowing one. It doesn't just happen. So to be tweed just for one more moment, let's grow old as a church together and wrinkly. Let's dream a little bigger than that. Let's glow. Wouldn't it be a wonderful witness to people who come here, who meet us out in the world, to say those people at Forward, I don't quite know what they believe yet, but they glow with praise for the Lord. Let's be a church family of whom that can be said. Amen.